Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library. Featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314 314- 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Mr. Kelly, before you take off, yes, uh, cicadas, I, it sounds like they're gone. Are you they know, really? They're yeah, they're kind of quiet. And I'm just curious. I haven't seen any hummingbirds in our yard. How about you? I've got, I think, one left. Really? And again, you know, we usually feed them in the front, and the one feeder has gotten down pretty low now. The other one they haven't touched. But in the back, this is the first year I put them in the back, and it looks like there's one. And he's out there pretty often. Really? Yeah. So I'll, I haven't spent a lot of time outside this week, but this weekend I will. And I'll keep an eye on to see if we have more. But I think we might be down to one, maybe two right yeah, now. Yeah, I think they're pretty... And I yeah. haven't seen any monarchs either, so it looks like... Yeah, we haven't you know, in a while. Yeah, the season's kind of over for cicadas, maybe hummingbirds, and monarchs. Now, I saw something on, on Twitter, of course, the other day that showed a plant when it was totally covered in monarch butterflies. Locally? No, this was like in Iowa or somewhere like that. Really? That yeah. far north? And I'm trying to think of, of where, what it was called, like a Sariana or something like that. It was called like a bursting bulb or something. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, we definitely, I, Sue wrote it down and we're going to look into it and try to try to plant some of those next year. All right. Sounds yeah. great. So. Just curious. Because yeah. like I say, I haven't seen any hummingbirds, so I was, and I know you guys get a lot of them. Yeah, we usually do. But I think they're, they've packed up and they're heading south. All right. I don't blame them. No. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, on Saturday morning, we get together and we have a roundtable discussion about what's impacting your backyard and what's going on in the front yard. How come there's trouble there? Well, my lawn, my lawn, I've never done anything to it for over 20 years, and it's supposed to be like carpet. Carpet wears out, too. So realize that your lawn needs to have renovation regularly. Every year would be ideal. Every other year would be okay. How about the side yard landscape? How about garden spaces, those specialty garden spaces, those tropicals, houseplants, potting mixes, improving your soil, shearing and pruning, getting rid of those bugs and diseases, and uh, using information to make good decisions. Using you know, my thoughts, certainly not the only way to go, but uh, maybe helps you orchestrate what you want to do in your landscape. With the final judgment, of course, going to be on your shoulders. And by the way, this is your show. I appreciate you inviting me into your car, home, or wherever you happen to be listening. Another very important player today is Cole he's producing. So I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline for quite a while, since 1994. And if you'd like for me to come to your home and do a landscape consultation, which I call a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. Homepage will have my email address and phone number where I can be reached. And uh, today, after the show, I'm headed towards Clayton. And uh, 
I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations and on the Internet. And uh, uh, today, Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. As I was talking to Brian about, I haven't heard any screaming cicadas. I've seen several you know, dead ones just kind of laying on the ground. The end of their life, oh well. But uh, they'll be back. They've laid eggs and everything else. And the hummingbirds and the monarchs. So it's kind of getting to be what I consider the harvest season. And the past week or so, last couple days, not so much. We couldn't see them. But the harvest moon has been nothing but spectacular. So though this morning, the humidity, I, I don't know what it actually is. But it was almost like walking underwater. There's no breeze at all. And right when I left the house, it was uh, the sun was pushing through some of the clouds and actually turning them kind of orangish purple. So that was kind of cool to see. And I thought, what better place to go during the harvest season than Soulard Market, where it is harvest season year-round. But this time of year, it becomes absolutely strikingly incredible. And it blends a long time of history with today's this, that, and everything else. And a real plus for the Soulard Market this week, Soulard Park, which sits right next door to Soulard Market, there is the St. Louis Hispanic Festival there. So that kind of caught me by surprise. I didn't realize that that was going to be there. But uh, now you can have all kinds of different fun and everything else. The trees in the park and every you know street trees and everything else were letting some leaves go. Vendors were at work. There's essential oils and soaps. There's T-shirts and caps and more. And, of course, there's potatoes, onions, which I hate to even say the word. But uh, anyway, there's grapes. There's organic kale. There's carrots. There's pears. There's eggplant. And cantaloupes, I don't know which cantaloupe. There was two different kinds of cantaloupe at this one vendor's spot. But the smell of the cantaloupe was fantastic. And there's something which I have never had before, black diamond watermelon. Hmm, that sounds kind of wild and crazy. Honeydew melons, cheese, eggs, sauces, dips, spices. If you'd like some raw goat milk, well, you can order some there, too. There's tomatoes, peaches, cut flowers. There's potted mums and three-gallon pots. There's pumpkins, gourds, and ornamental corn. There's aloe vera and all its succulent cousins. There's bread, live chickens. Want to have a chicken? Well, why not? (laughs) What could be wilder and crazier? And the chickens are in cages. They're hoping to be adopted. There's local honey, and many other products are locally grown or made or whatever it happens to be. So uh, today is robust season time, so why not head out to the Soulard Market? So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Cole will be answering the phone, so all he needs to know is your name and where you're calling from, not what you're calling about or anything else. September, I mean, it really ignites all five senses. So everything is, I was talking to Brian about the hummingbirds and butterflies. 
fruits are starting to mature, seeds are starting to form, and uh, plants like penstemon, toad lily, asters, anemone are waking up. The cool season lawns, too. Sweet autumn clematis, which is considered an invasive weed now or plant. Flocks, sunflowers of various types, abelias, liriope, coral bells, mums, goldenrod, and cornflowers. Those are just some of the things that are going on right now, potentially in your landscape or in your neighborhood that you can see that are in bloom. Many, many other ones as well. And so let's go to the phones. Let's head to Marjorie, and she lives in Arnold. Hi, Margie. Sorry. Uh, Is this Marcy from Arnold? Um, Is it Marcy? Marcy, M-A-R-C-E. Oh, Oh, okay. Yes, it is. Okay. Uh, I have two shark questions. Uh, I know the rosebush deal has been answered before, but I got the knockout rosebush that is still kind of blooming in places. Uh, It's really getting too big in that. And uh, when would I trim that? And the branches that stick out all over the place, you cut all of them back to uh, what length? Uh, It's up to you. But uh, pruning-wise, I don't necessarily like to prune roses, even shrub roses, which are quite tough, going into wintertime. So I'd prefer, if you possibly can leave it as is, until we get past, uh, let's say, January, so sometime around Valentine's Day, do your pruning before the new growth begins on the stems of the roses. Then you can prune it as much as you want to. Generally, some people prune them back severely. I never like to cut them back more than 30 or 40% at the most. Uh, so you say right back in around February. Yeah, mid-February or so. Anytime okay. you got between that point and when the new growth begins, which is probably going to be, you know, it's weather dependent, but sometime mid to late April when you'll start to see the foliage pushing out. Okay, that sounds good. Thank you very much, and you have a nice day. Certainly. Bye. Uh, did you have another question? Well, that uh, trimming part was my second oh, question, I see. really. Okay. How, how far back with these long ones that are sticking out all yeah. over the place? And the reason why, roses like to go to sleep, and there's something called a rose hip. And now there's plenty, there's, uh, you know, people make jelly and jams out of rose hips, but you want the rose hips to stay because that's a signal for the roses to go to sleep. So they need to have those rose. So in other words, once the flower petals fall off, there's a little ball that fall, you know, forms on the end of the stem. And that's, that's the signal for the rose to say, it's time to go to sleep. So if you prune it, then it may not get that message about going to sleep. It may be pushing some, you know, f- let's say even foliage buds out, and then we get a severe winter, and then you got major damage. But I still wait till February. Yes. Okay, because I notice some, like you say, the the heads that are finished and and they fall off. But uh, okay, well, listen. Uh, thank you very much, and you have a nice day. Certainly, my pleasure. Now let's go to Bill, one of three Bills on the line today. And this Bill happens to be from O'Fallon, Illinois. Hi, Bill. Hello. Hello. Yes, uh, two questions. One, regarding naturally the lawns, because it's September. I normally aerate and overseed the first weekend in September. But this year, the guy I got the seed from said because of the high heat we've had the last couple weeks, to hold off because the ground is too warm. How long can I hold off? Well, warm uh, ground is actually seed. ideal because it causes the seed to germinate. It just okay. means that you may have to do a little bit more watering. But any kind of seeding that you're planning on doing, get it done before 
mid-October because it's going to, for the grass seed to germinate, actually send root systems down into the ground and to be healthy enough and vigorous enough and established enough to, you know, handle whatever type of winter we have. So you got to get any kind of, and this is for anybody, this is cool season, fescues and bluegrasses. You got to get the seed down before mid-October. Okay, so I don't have to let the ground cool any further. No, no, no. You don't want necessarily cool ground. That's, uh, okay. you know. I, Second question is a vegetable question. I have raised beds, and I have a lot of success with, you know, different crops. But two crops, my beets and my radishes, beautiful foliage and virtually no uh, bulb or whatever you want to call it. Um, and I'm just wondering, is that just too much nitrogen in the soil? It could be, but also, now, have you grown them before and had good success with them? No. Okay. I mean, it's, I'm ready to give up on the, uh, <laughs> on the beet. <laughs> And on the radishes, I'll plant, I'll get 10 plants and I'll get three or four bulbs out of the 10. Now, I'm assuming it's really well-drained soil and everything else. So the reason why it's not setting any kind of fruit, you know, or vegetable below the ground, you know, I'm not exactly sure. But uh, there's, I would say you may be putting too much fertilizer on it because that can, you know, push plants past whether it's tomatoes or anything else past the point of actually setting fruits. So that might be your problem. Okay, so this year, because usually when I turn the bed over in the fall, I go ahead and spread the 10-10-10. This year I may just not put anything down. Yeah, triple 10, you know, putting in that, you know, that time of year maybe, you know, is not going to really help the plant material at all. So what you should probably do is, if you're really serious about this, get a soil test done and find out if you've historically put triple 10 down for years and years and years. You may have extravagant levels of phosphorus and potassium in the last two numbers, the last two tens, and that may be impacting you know, your radishes and other things as well. And where can you get soil testing in the St. Louis area? Uh, well, there's a, actually some place in Belleville that does some soil testing, a private company. Oh, really? Yeah. So okay. Just well, put I'll soil testing, Belleville, Illinois, and it'll give you the name of the company. Okay, great. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Certainly. My pleasure. Now let's go to another Bill, and this Bill happens to be in Chesterfield. Hi, Bill. Oh, hi. Mike, love your show. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me on your show. So we're kind of backyard gardeners, and I have a vegetable garden, and behind that, my wife has been uh, trying to attract monarch so we have um, milkweed growing and this year she also decided to plant a mexican sunflower mm-hmm. which is just growing unbelievable and the monarch butterflies are still in my backyard so i guess we have all of yours yes hey <laughs> well that's great i mean uh yeah because i haven't seen any monarchs for you know probably maybe two weeks now really because they as I was picking tomatoes uh, this week, I was just looking up at the plant, and I just saw them all over it. They were fighting through the flowers, and their proboscises were going down inside the flower, <laughs> and uh, they loved it. Well, that's great. Well, congratulations to her. <laughs> yeah, she's she's a big flower person. I'm the vegetable person. All right. So. Sounds great. Good combo. All right. Thanks, thanks for your show. Sure. Well, thank you, and thanks for the info on the monarchs, but... 
Listen, if any monarchs are listening to the radio show, please leave Chesterfield and come into the city. I'd like to see a few more of you. Now let's go to the third Bill, and he's from Centralia. Hi, Bill. Hi, Mike. How are you this morning? Very good. I'm getting ready to do my rain dance. We need some rain. Oh, you aren't kidding. It is very, very dry. I have uh, some questions about... I have some crown vet seed, and I have some... Uh, those long uh, white radishes that's supposed to help your soil compaction. Is it too late or is it too early to plant them or is it just right? Well, the radishes are probably not going to do a whole lot, you know, because you could give them a try and see what happens. But uh, the crown vetch, again, it's, it's, if you're going to get some seed down, whether it's grass seed or any kind of seed at all, get it down as soon as you possibly can. And okay, then the second question is, uh, I'm in the, the, we're going to be moving a building, and I need to move two grapevines and my famous rhubarb. And uh, is it too early to do that, or no, I, I get, wait, or what? No, it's, you know, the ground is still warm, so, you know, get the location where you're moving them to. Are you going to move them just temporarily, or are you going to move them permanently to a new spot? I'd like to move them temporarily. Okay, well then you might consider, if you can, putting them in like five-gallon pots. Okay. And then put the pots, protect the pots, you know, from, let's say, the direct sun. I mean, they can still get some sun, but just not the heat of the day and everything else. And just keep them in the pots, keep the pots watered and everything else. Then when you get the building moved, then you can just take the pots and then replant the plants. Hopefully you can get it. When are you going to actually move the building? Uh, that's kind of unknown, so I may have to go for a more permanent location or semi-permanent. <laughs> well, just leave them in the pot because they should, you know, for the wintertime, if you don't get them, you know, let's say put back into the ground, just move them near a building or something and then put some mulch and then more or less bury the pot in some mulch. Okay. And then that way it gives you an opportunity to, you know, do the planting next spring if that's the option that's as it comes about. And my last question is, Last year I saved a bunch of milkweed seed, and uh, I had some, but not as much as I did the year before. And I was wondering, should I just toss it on the ground, or should I kind of sow it? Or uh, Do you have a bed space, or are you just throwing it out in the yard just in general? Well, i got a back space where I can clear. Yeah, rake it pretty good, and then just you know put the seed down. Okay, thank you. Yeah, and don't bear, you know... If you, if the, hopefully it's, you know, pretty well improved soil. Centralia probably has adequate or decent soil. So that's what you, uh, that's what I'd probably do. Okay. Thank you very much, Mike. Certainly. Thank you very much. And let's see, we can take another call before break. Let's go to Lucy and Lucy's from Chesterfield. Hi, Lucy. Hi, Michael. I, I, I hope that you can help me identify uh, something the bird planted. Uh, it's a, about five and a half feet tall, a fast-growing, we think, locust tree, and it has a little a yellow flower, and it's three-petaled, growing into the uh, those leaves, the long leaves of the locust. Uh, is that identi- Does that sound familiar to you? Uh, locust trees generally, they're 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 in the pea family, so their flowers are not like. Uh, sunflowers are like, you know, I don't know what you're kind of describing. Oh, tiny, tiny little three-petal things growing yeah. into the leaf. Uh, that doesn't sound like a locust tree to me. 
Uh oh. <laughs> I'm not saying nope. it isn't, but uh, generally, the, you know, any kind of tree, you know, that's recently planted and that small, usually is not going to flower. Well, they, this is what's so interesting. It, uh, it, as I say, this is a flower bed, and the bird must have dropped uh, a seed, I think. Uh, and uh, this thing is ta- fast growing. Has a uh, about a half inch uh, uh, trunk that's uh, very green. And it just it keeps on growing taller and taller, and it's multi uh, locust leaved. You know that long feathery leaf. Right. Um, I'm I'm guessing it's in the sunflower family. It, no no tree is going to grow that fast. Let's put it. Honest that way. to God, this is interesting. Hmm. <laughs> well, well, what you can do is just take a picture of you know the plant with the flower and everything else. Take it to your favorite garden center and let them take a look at it. Well, that that'd probably be the secret, and I'm grateful for you uh, uh, briefing me on the fact that it's not a locust. No, so that's it isn't. Good. No locust okay. tree is going to grow that fast. And locust pods, I mean, those are big, long. Yeah, I mean, they're those are pea family things. So, uh, birds, I don't know how much they actually even eat the seeds on locust trees. Mm-hmm. Okie doke. Well, thanks again, Michael. Sir, my pleasure. Mike Miller. KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, if you have done some seeding in your lawn areas, do not cut the grass until it's about three inches high. The reason for that is because when the blades get about three inches high, that means that root system should be adequately deep into the soil. So the vacuum or whatever is created as your mower blades spin around doesn't suck them out, the newly germinated seed up out of the ground. So do not mow newly seeded areas until the grass blades are three inches high. Let's head out to Eureka and go into Sue's yard. Hi, Sue. Hi, Mike. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. My son and daughter-in-law have a beautiful tree sort of in uh, right out a dining room window, like in a corner area. I'm sorry I can't tell you the type of tree. It would remind you of a birch because it kind of has the three trunks. But it has white spots all over it, some as big as a quarter. Uh, it looks like it's just going to kill the tree, but the leaves remain beautiful. And seems like I heard on your program previously sometime about an oil that you could spray. Well, you probably don't need to. This sounds like lichen, L-I-C-H-E-N. Hmm. Okay. I don't, you know, it's, you know, which is more or less it has a symbiotic relationship with tree bark and things like that. It doesn't really do any kind of damage to the tree. Because if it was something that's going to be damaging, it was, I mean, it would be causing the bark to exfoliate or fall off or split or the foliage or something else. But this sounds like something that's just a natural occurrence. And the fact that it's up closer, you may be closer to the house or something or the exposure, if it's uh, more than likely, I would say if it is a lichen, it's going to be on, you know, it's not necessarily going to be 360 degrees around the entire trunk, but it could be. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so there's nothing that should be done. We hate for them to to lose it. It's a, a beautiful tree. Yeah, I don't think you need to worry about it. Okay, now this winter, will it go away? No, or it's just... it's permanent. Once it's there, that will stay on the tree for basically the tree's life. Ooh, okay. That's it not horrible. Looks, <laughs> uh, it just kind of looks sick, though. 
<laughs> we'll put on rose-colored glasses when you look at it. Okay, we'll do that. All right. <laughs> okay, thank you. Certainly. Now let's head from Eureka into St. Louis and into Matt's yard. Hi, Matt. Hi, Mike. Uh, got a quick question. I've got uh, my yard. Whenever you mow the grass, it looks it looks nice, but when you look at it, it's got a little bit of grass with a lot of other weeds or junk all all throughout. And I'm sorry. And what you're just so what are you saying oh, what, that you? What, how do how do I get a, a good grass yard? Well, basically, you got to find out what these weeds are and go about killing them. So if they're annual weeds, then you use the pre-emergence, depending upon what type of it's a cool season annual weed or a warm season annual weed. If it's perennial weeds, then you're going to have to use like a uh, weed-be-gone type herbicide type thing. you got to get those, all that stuff taken care of first. Then you go about, you know, overseeding and with a type of grass seed. I don't know if you have fescue or bluegrass. The fescues are going to be by far the, you know, the most durable and toughest, you know, grass, cool season grass for here. So get the weeds under control. Then start thinking about doing some overseeding with core aeration and all that other stuff. All right. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, again, you... Find out what kind of weed you got, and then that's going to tell you what action that you're going to, you, you should take to get rid of them. No problem. Thank you very much for your help. Certainly. And now let's go to another bill, number four, for this Saturday. And this bill lives in Ellisville. Hi, Bill. Good morning. Hi. How are you doing? Very good. Thank you for your service. Uh, my question is about... Uh, Brown patch or dollar spot, I seem to have that every year for the last three or four years, and um, this year I stayed on top of it with whatever whatever product I was using, and I used it about every two weeks, and my yard did not go to, go to pot, so to speak, but I still got a couple of areas that are a little brownish looking. But in the past, I was losing big, huge spots. It would fall out like scalp. Right. So basically, you, it sounds like you're on the right approach. But anytime you've got a fungus problem, especially in lawns, you've got to start applying a fungicide before you actually see the problem. So once the problem... I get all, so if just uh, next year, just stay ahead of the game. Keep in mind these spots that you know do have this fungus. If they, if it is a fungus, and then go after them that way. I did. It was all spring long, and this was our best year yet. But is there any way to get rid of that fungus totally? No. <laughs> Seriously, there isn't. Because you know this. Ultimately, if the, if you keep doing this year after year after year you may get to the point where there is no more spores left, and the spores are more or less the seeds for the fungus. And But if somebody walks across a yard that has the problem and then walks across your yard, whether it be a dog, a squirrel, a mailman, or anything else, that, you know, that type of thing. So that's how this keeps coming back and back. But fungus is you know, a really harsh, ongoing process that could take several years to finally eradicate. Okay. Well, this was the best year yet, and I did what you said. I started in the spring about every two weeks. I'd lay a little bit down, and this is my best year. But I still got a little area that's it's green. The grass is green. It looks a lot better than it used to, but I can still see the brownness in there. Yeah, so 
you know, take, get down on your hands and knees with like a magnifying glass. Look at this pretty closely and see if you see any fuzz or anything on the brownish, you know, or on the green blades and see if this is really a fungus because it may be something else, maybe related to okay. soil or, you know, low spot or whatever it happens to be. All right. Thank you. Yep. And if you want to, you can still go out and just take a rake in this area and put some seed down and with seed starter, maybe a you know a quarter or a half inch of compost on top of that. So you still got a chance to do some seeding for these spots. Yeah, that's kind of what I've done in the past. So I appreciate, appreciate your thoughts. Certainly. And thank you for calling, and thanks for having me on your show. Let's go to Turkey Hill, Illinois, and that's where Dale lives. Hi, Dale. Hey, Mike. Hi. Uh, the, uh, I think the answer... Uh, so the latest question about the uh, uh, what you thought was a locust tree, I think it's a mimosa tree. I've had that problem out here. It, I got some mimosas out here, and they I, their seeds spread. They go into my flower beds and whatever, and I just cut. The, you know, they get a little uh, a branch about as big as your thumb, and mm-hmm. the leaf is, looks like it does look like a locust. And I just cut them off with a forty-five and. And paint, and paint them with some breast killer. Yeah, I mean, you may be right. The only thing that you know would sort of lead me, she was saying the flower was yellow. And mimosas yeah, that, have... That, yeah, mimosas kind of pink. But yeah, right. I, I think the early ones, I think the early ones are kind of kind of yellow. And uh, uh, I have no idea. But I, I did throw me, but I, I think it is mimosa. It really looks like a locust. You're, you're, I mean, you're absolutely right as far as the foliage goes and everything else, and you certainly could be right, and I appreciate you taking the time to call in and ask, you know, and sort of add, add that uh, insight that you have. I'll tell you what. That, that's what I'm here for. That's why I'm here in life. Thanks. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for coming on my show. Well, thank you for having me on your show. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. This has been a very dry month. The only rain we've had was two weeks ago, basically on Sunday. And so consequently, if you have an irrigation system, that's great. It's automatic, blah, blah, blah. Just make sure you're running it for longer periods of time less often. So 10 minutes a day, you know, seven days a week is not what you want to do. You want to run it for half hour to 45 minutes every other day or every third day. You want to make sure that you're getting an inch of water on your lawn or on your garden just in general every seven days. So what you should do, too, who knows if it's going to rain or not, but it would be a good idea if you don't have an automatic irrigation system to go ahead and get those sprinklers out there. What that does, it'll soften the ground. So if it does rain, then consequently the rain will penetrate deeper and, you know, in conjunction with the water that you put down. If it doesn't rain, then your plants are going to appreciate the fact that you are watering. I've watered every Wednesday for the last couple of weeks because it's been brutal. And I water potted plants Every week, you know, twice a week, every Saturday and every Wednesday, both. But my lawn, it's been once a week. So let's go back to the phones, and where should we head? Let's go out to St. Charles and see what's going on with Greg. Hi, Greg. Hi, Mike. Hi. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call and having me on our program. Sure. Uh, I got a got a great little question. Uh, I have one in my yard, probably about five to eight years old. Uh, the previous owner of the house hadn't 
done much in the way of pruning it uh, throughout those years. So it, the circumference has gotten a little out of control. And I really like for it to be more of a vertical uh, plant like they're supposed to be. Is there anything you would suggest as far as training that uh, during the pruning season uh, to make it take that, that uh, more appealing shape? Are you saying the branching is going out horizontal and not not upward? That's correct. Yeah, the circumference is uh, pretty wide, and I've I've seen a lot of these. They're they're a tree, right? They're they're supposed to grow vertical if you uh, you prune them correctly. Well, crepe myrtle trees are not hardy for this region. That's a separate species. So really, it's the shrubs. It's just people over the years have pruned them. Let's say the lateral side growth, they've cut that off to make it so more of the growth is going to be upright. So that's about the only thing you can really do because they're not technically that they're a shrub in essence. So they do have a habit of growing more up than outward. And if you do have them, that's, you know, the branching going horizontal or, you know, at an angle that you don't necessarily care for, just go back to wherever it's connected to the next biggest branch and then cut it off at that point. How aggressive would you be with pruning those toward the, toward the base? Uh, a lot of people do a lot more pruning than I do. I don't, you know, it's just you take a big chance if you do prune them really heavily that you may have a couple years where you're not going to get much, let's say, visual mm-hmm. action aesthetics out of it. So I don't like to cut more than half of them off. Okay. I have another question about an ornamental pine that's right next to it. It looks to be pretty mature, uh, and it's beautiful, I, but I've noticed some of the branches are drooping. There's some voids within the bush. Is there anything I can do to maintain that and just extend the life of it and make it look nice? No, not really. I mean, I don't know how old it is or exactly what type of you know pine or spruce or whatever it happens to be, but pretty much... If it's, I don't know how, you know, the diameter, the the trunk, it sounds like it's kind of a more mature type of, you know, tree or shrub or whatever it happens to be. And so there's not really too much you can do to, you know, what you're trying to, let's say, change its visual appearance. All right, Mike. Well, thank you for your insight. Yeah, it's, you know, it's just, I mean, you can fool around with it a lot and you're not going to, you know, some of the branches drooping. If it's a, let's say, Norway spruce, then that's its genetic habit of, to do that type thing. Mm-hmm. In open spaces, that just, you know, that's kind of with the, they don't, they're not native to here. None of the spruces, none of the pines, the only evergreens that are native to here are the junipers. And people don't like the cedars necessarily. So good luck, uh, Greg. And let's see, where should we go now? Um, hmm, hmm, hmm. Linda. Oh, let's go to Linda in Oakville. Hi, Linda. Hi, Mike. Good morning. Hi. Um, I have a question about a maple tree. It is in our backyard, and we don't have a lot of trees in our backyard, but our neighbors whose yards are right next to us do. So the bottom of the tree, I don't know how many, it's pretty tall up, is very full, and then the top is totally spindly because I think it's you know just crowded, maybe doesn't get as much light. I don't know. It seems like it should be the opposite. We wanted to know... Do we have a tree guy come out and top that tree out, or should we, you know, try to feed it with something, you know, um, drilling around it and putting the compost in? We've had luck with some tree spikes with our oak tree that was we were having problems with, but what do you suggest for that? Basically, you know, if it's thin at the top, it's it's thin there for a reason. So... Like you say, it might be shaded by neighboring trees or something along that line. And the lower growth closer to the ground is getting more sunlight. 
that's you know usually that's what's going to be the case. If the the branches that are higher up, if they're just let's say less have less foliage, they're not totally yeah. let's say have no foliage whatsoever. Then there's really not too much you're going to be able to do. Certainly, deep root feeding is something that's always recommended, and that's when you go out about half the distance from the trunk to the extension of the branches and start augering holes, you know, about a foot deep or so, or six inches deep, and backfilling them with compost like you're talking about, and just do a concentric circle about one or two feet apart, all the way out to just beyond the extension of the branches, and see if that's going to give it some help. Okay, yeah, the branches up above have leaves, but, I mean, they're just way more spindly spindly and, you know, sparsely leafed than right. the bottom. The bottom looks great, but I think you're right. I think it's a sunlight factor. Because, I mean, that has a huge impact. I mean, I'm looking out at a park right here where KMOX is, and I can see that same thing happening with several different kinds of trees. But it's not recommended to take that top off and just have the No, topping bottom. a tree is not something that's recommended. Selectively pruning and taking out some branches, yes, but not topping. Okay. All right, thank you. Yep. And sorry, Kathy, Jay, Vince, uh, we're not going to be able to get to you this hour, but I think the Garden Hotline does have a second hour, if I'm not sure. Uh, let's see, how long have I been doing this? I don't know. Anyway, but if you can just hold on, we'll get to you as soon as we come back. And, uh, again, I'm going to reemphasize, if you're thinking about putting seed down, you're going, fescue is by far the best. Fescue blends, I always like blends better than anything else. But the fescues are, you know, above and beyond what the bluegrasses are as far as related to our climate. So, but you got to get it done, get it down before mid-October. If you don't... You're just kind of spinning your wheels, and you're not going to have any results. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after the news. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.